0: Do you have student loan payments every month? If you do, you're not alone. Almost 70% of U.S. grads leave college with student debt, and many are entering the job market in debt and entirely unprepared to manage their own finances. This is exactly what happened to our guest, Jerry Walsh. Jerry now leads Finner's investor education efforts and is here to help make us all smarter investors. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I understand that there's a couple of different areas that you work within here at FINRA that touch investor education. Can you explain what they are and how they're different?
1: I wear two hats at FINRA. I am the head of the Office of Investor Education, and I am the president of the FINRA Investor Education Foundation.
0: So tell me what they do.
1: Sure. Um, Investor education, the department, is part of the regulatory function of FINRA, and so there are really three key things that we do. We provide regulatory guidance when there's proposed rulemaking. We run the Investor Issues Committee. We also do outreach, which is speaking at investor events, coordinating with uh, consumer-focused partners. And we provide assistance. So we also have tools and resources that we make available on finra.org slash investors.
0: And a tool and a resource would be?
1: Like the mutual fund expense calculator, the fund analyzer. We also have a required minimum distribution calculator, save to the max calculator for people who are investing in their 401Ks. Articles, investor warnings.
0: So those tools help people as they're investing, like, figure out if they're going down the right path.
1: Exactly. And it helps them make choices because whenever we provide tips to investors, we're not able to, say, invest in XYZ company or put all your money in this particular asset allocation. Instead, we give people the basic information that they need to make sound money choices.
0: And so then there's also the foundation in the mix. Can you explain what that is?
1: Absolutely. The foundation is a wholly owned subsidiary of FINRA. It's got a separate governance. We have our own board. All of the money that is in the foundation was contributed from FINRA. FINRA has been very generous. But we go a step beyond what FINRA does for investor protection. And we focus more financial capability. The mission of the foundation is to empower people by providing them the tools and resources they need for financial success throughout their lives.
0: And so what are some examples of the things that the foundation does?
1: There are four key strategic goals that we operate under. And so everything that we do helps us achieve those goals. And those are protecting investors against financial fraud and helping to ameliorate the consequences of fraud, uh, fostering military financial readiness. Building the capacity of the field to provide. Uh, quality financial education, primarily through libraries and workplaces. And then we also have a research agenda, and we try to benchmark and compare the financial capability of Americans.
0: So can we take the military example for a sec- second? And can you just briefly explain what do you do in that realm?
1: We partner with the Department of Defense in their financial readiness campaign, and we also work with a number of other partners that are really intermediaries in reaching consumers. And so We work with the Consumer Federation on their military saves initiatives, and that's a a social marketing campaign that really aims to change people's behavior by encouraging them to save, even if it's just small amounts of money.
0: So your education is in person, online?
1: It's in person. It's online. Our military financial readiness project manager participated in more than 30 events, often in concert with the Securities and Exchange Commission and with state securities regulators. So talking to people one-on-one on on base. But then we also have this network of military spouse fellows who are earning the accredited financial counselor designation, which is one of the designations that the Department of Defense uh, uses for financial counseling. And those spouses who live a military lifestyle and who walk that walk and talk that talk are then force multipliers for what the foundation does with our own outreach. They're counseling people who are having problems with debt, issues with figuring out how to save money, especially if they're dealing with moving from duty station to duty station.
0: Are there other examples about what the foundation does that...
1: We have a wonderful exhibit that focuses on people's natural biases. We all have biases and and behaviors that we engage in when it comes to money. And we put together a couple of years ago a documentary called Thinking Money. But we took that documentary to the next level, working in partnership with the American Library Association, to create a museum-quality exhibition that would travel – to 50 libraries all across the country over a two-year period. And thinking money is very tactile, but it helps people through libraries, which are centers that people go to for financial information, helps them learn about these different biases that people have.
0: So it's actually an exhibit that goes on the road.
1: It's an exhibit that goes on the road. And then there's programming that surrounds it. So far, we're only halfway through the program right now, but we've reached more than a quarter million people with this one exhibition in just a single year. Do you
0: have a sense of how many cities it's already been to?
1: It will go to 50 total. I believe it has been to 30 at this point.
0: So it's making progress. It's
1: making progress.
0: (laughs) So um, investor education, I'm assuming, has not been your full life, but it's definitely part of your life now. Can you talk a little bit about what got you started?
1: I got started because I always wanted to be a teacher, and after I graduated from college, I worked in the admission office of my college thinking, oh, I might go into academia, but I'm a first-generation American. My parents were immigrants from Ireland. They didn't have college educations. Uh, I didn't really know how the real world worked until I started treading that path, and so I na- naively thought, oh, I'll just go to law school, but I... I In the first year of law school, more than doubled the entire amount of debt that I had accumulated through four years of college. And that was a huge wake up call. I would imagine. Oh my goodness, when I realized that. But I thought, I'm at this crossroads. I'm not entirely sure I want to be a lawyer. I really want to be a teacher. But if I don't become a lawyer, I'm never going to make enough money to pay off all that debt. So I better stick with it. And I thought, I thought, that because I had doubled my debt in that first year of law school, that by the end of law school, my bill would be times four what I had accumulated in debt in college. Kenneth, I was so wrong.
0: How long did it take you to figure out that, that you were wrong?
1: Graduation day, when I got the statement of how much I owed, I realized that instead of being times four, that initial amount of debt, it was times six. And it didn't take long for me to realize that I just hadn't comprehended what it meant for compound interest to accumulate and for interest that capitalizes. I took out loans that were beyond the federal student loans that are guaranteed and the interest is deferred. I took out loans where the interest capitalized. And so the principal amount that I owed was far greater than I thought it was ever going to be. And, you know, when I got further into my career, I thought I never want anyone making that same mistake that I made. I paid off my loans in about 5 years. That's I lived, pretty good. I'd live like a church mouse to make it happen. <laughs> um and you know I did go in and practice law. Being a lawyer does help working for a private law firm and having the salary that one has helps. But then I just thought I do not want to be a lawyer anymore. And I was working at the Securities and Exchange Commission and got an opportunity when Arthur Levitt was the chairman. He stood up the first office of investor education, and I became effectively a chief of staff to the woman who was leading that office. And I fell in love.
0: So was that time in college when you discovered how your loans were behaving, was that like your aha moment?
1: It was really after law school that it was my aha moment. And I learned a lot from my friends because I talked to them about my shock. And I learned from a very dear friend, my college roommate, about investing. And at the same time that I was complaining about my loans and this burdensome student debt, which, gosh, isn't that a refrain that we're still hearing today? Um, But at the same time that I was talking about that, she was talking about how she was an investor and she didn't even realize it because she was investing in her company's 401k.
0: And I think some people don't recognize that they're investors to this day. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: That's right, Kenneth. It is so true that a lot of us don't even know that we're investors. Anyone who's got a workplace retirement savings program is an investor and your money is more than likely invested in the markets typically through mutual funds or through exchange-traded funds that are part of the offering that will be in your retirement plan at work. But it's really important to understand what that means. It means that you're exposed to market volatility, to risks, but also to that positive power of compound interest. And if you start saving money at an early age, the first time that it's available to you, and if it's not available to you through a 401k at work or if you're with the federal government through the TSP – open up an IRA. But saving early, making a habit of savings can increase your financial security throughout your life, not just in retirement.
0: And have you followed that same pattern in your life?
1: I have once I realized that I needed to because one of the other dumb financial decisions that I made (laughs) as a young woman, and it's why I followed this path of investor education, was when I left my law firm I cashed out my 401k because I was buying a house. I thought, oh, this is great. I'll, I'll just take the money. Well, that was foolish for two reasons. One, there was a significant tax hit. I paid a 10% penalty because I was taking that money out before I was 59 and a half. And I could have borrowed the money. I could have kept the money in the plan, rolled it to an IRA, or keeping it in the plan, though, I could have borrowed. There are things that I could have done that I didn't know. And so I really got involved in investor education because I wanted to make sure that other people didn't have to learn through the school of hard knocks the lessons that I learned
0: So your life is about educating, even I hear when you run?
1: When I run. I have a running group. It's a bunch of moms in Arlington, Virginia, and some of us work, some of us don't. But we all have different areas of expertise, and we tend to talk a lot. We meet pretty early in the morning before we're caffeinated. (laughs) Um, So we sometimes uh, get on long and rambling conversations. But I've been asked about you know, different products, different strategies for saving and investing. And it's been great. You know, as a regulator, we can't tell you what to invest in. We can't give you a recommendation for a particular kind of financial professional, but we can equip you with the questions that you need to ask and give you those pros and cons that you need to think about when you're making a decision.
0: Well, it's that time of year where people give gifts. We're recording this in December here in Washington, and I'm curious to hear a little bit more about some yeah. things that might be some useful gifts for investors. So if you're uh, about to invest in the market, what's like, what are a few things that you might do?
1: If you're preparing to invest, especially if you're one of those new investors that we talked about, there are really four things that can help you get started. First, you've got to calculate your cash flow. What do you even have coming in? Second, you really need to know your net worth. What does your personal balance sheet look like? What are your assets? What are your liabilities? Three, if you have debt like I did, like a lot of us do, right, you need to figure out how to manage that debt. Getting a job at a law firm is a great way to do it, but there are other ways that folks can do it. And then the last thing that you need to do is set your financial goals. You want them to be smart goals. You want them to be specific and measurable. You want them to be achievable. You want them to be realistic. We all want to win the lottery, right? Not going to happen. I would like that. I would love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then you want them to be time-bound. And so, you know, don't think of financial planning as a one-time exercise that you engage in. Instead, think about it as this very fluid process that as your life circumstances change – as you have a spouse or partner come into your life or leave your life, um, as you have children, as you have pets. Pets can be expensive. You want to think about how that plays into your short-term and medium-term and long-term financial goals.
0: Let's give another another gift. What are the top ways for investors to spot scams?
1: Oh, understand persuasion. That's the key thing. There are five persuasion tactics that investment fraudsters tend to use. And there are three ways that you can help deal with those. And so the five persuasion tactics that we see most often, this comes from foundation research into financial fraud. There's this concept of phantom riches the idea that you, you know, want something badly like guaranteed returns or a certain uh, you know, risk-free investment, dangling something that you want but that you can't have. The second is source credibility, the idea that everybody wants to deal with an expert, but remember that that can be faked. People aren't always who they say they are. Social consensus is the third persuasion tactics that cons use, the idea that everybody's doing it, so it must be right for you. You know, the big boys are all in this investment. My mother is in this investment. But if it's right for you, it's right for you. The fact that it's right for somebody else doesn't mean it's right for you. Reciprocity is another persuasion tactic that cons use. I give you a free meal. You give me your money. Free lunches, don't go there, <laughs> or go there for education, but commit that you're not gonna give up your money. Or at quite least so have a free
0: meal and then just leave.
1: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. The thing that's the closer is scarcity, and that's the idea that something is time limited, or resource limited, or it's only available to a certain exclusive set of people. Um, so you know, buy now, only one left, and you know, you, Kenneth, can achieve financial greatness along with a 100,000 other people.
0: One would hope, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about um, one more thing. As we look into the new year, people make New Year's resolutions. What are some you know, perhaps top tips that people should be keeping in mind as they look towards the new year and planning ahead?
1: Well, the first thing that they should do before they look toward the new year is – Look back critically at the past year. How did your portfolio do? How did you do with any goals that you had about managing your debt or starting to save, contributing to your 401k up to the max or beyond? Take stock. You really need to start there because then you can figure out where you want to go financially in the new year. And once you figure that out, you can set some goals. And again, you want them to be those smart goals that we talked about. And if you work with a financial professional... Uh, make sure you do your homework on them. Check out broker check, go to Finra dot org slash investors. Broker check is right there on the home page and you can check out your financial professional.
0: And broker check is.
1: Brokercheck is a tool that FINRA offers to really help people look up investment professionals. You want to deal with people that are licensed. And very first thing you'll find out is whether somebody is licensed when you check broker check. But you can also get information about where they've worked and whether they have a history of complaints. Most brokers don't. Most brokers are hardworking professionals who are looking out for their clients. But if there's somebody that has had some disciplinary problems in the past or has a significant string of investor complaints, you will wanna know that before you commit your hard-earned money uh, to working with them.
0: Excellent, so as we move into uh, the end of the show here, let's turn to you for a little bit. Do you have a favorite uh, New Year's memory?
1: My favorite New Year's memory is from the year 2000, so the millennium, uh, moving from 1999. I chose not to party like it was 1999, (laughs) um, but instead to sign up for the Central Park race in New York City. The ball would drop, the fireworks would go off, the gun would go off, and all these runners would run through Central Park for four miles. And at the two-mile stop, we got a glass of champagne.
0: That's not a bad way to run.
1: It's a fantastic way.
0: (laughs) And a great way to bring in the new year.
1: It is. It is. And it certainly beats waking up for a 5 a.m. call with your friends.
0: Yeah, that's a a good memory, though. And and it's pretty close to the time of day you normally run, but a little shifted.
1: Shifted. Shifted, yes. (laughs) I guess maybe in Europe. You know, that would be the time to wake up and run in London.
0: Perhaps. Well, that's a fun memory and a good way to bring in the new millennium, let alone the new year. Exactly. Well, Jerry, I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me in this episode of FINRA Scripted. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And for all of us at FINRA, this is Kenneth Edrupiner for FINRA Unscripted. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about FINRA's Office of Investor Education or FINRA's Foundation, visit us at finra.org podcasts and visit the page for this episode. Have an idea for a future podcast? Email us at finraunscripted at finra.org or reach out on social media. I'm Kenneth Edward Piner,
1: and this is FINRA Unscripted.